they did their stuff better than we did, and they deserve to win. And that's all I'm going to, I'm not going to talk about that crap anymore, all right? Because it's going to sound, you all will make it sound like I don't want it to sound. We lost, and whenever I'm here and we lose, I always credit the opponent, and I never throw my own team under the bus, ever, ever. And I'm not going to make damn excuses. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fans Podcast. Wow, what a difference a week makes. Back-to-back losses, mm. Clemson, Louisville. We got a lot of overreactions to touch on. We got to make a couple of decisions here going forward. So we're going to play a little game of let's make a deal. And then we'll touch on the game tomorrow night, 9 p.m. against Miami. Just with the doctor ordered to have them come in at Duke. And then we're off for a week. So, AC, it was a really tough week for us. We're going to start with our performance at Clemson that was, let's just call it what it was. It was weak. It was charming soft. It Mm -hmm. was, you know, it was as bad as I have seen Trey Jones play. It wasn't just him. Everybody was soft. Uh, You know, what what do you take from that game? That was not a great, not a great game from anyone, protect, particularly on the defensive end. And I mean, I think I think that's the thing that stands out the most to me about this game is that if you were just to look at stats alone outside of you know the the three point shooting percentage, it doesn't look like Trey had a horrific game. It really it doesn't. Right. But you anybody who watched the game could tell you he did. Like defensively, he he wasn't helpful. Some of his decisions on offense weren't great. But again, in a game like this, you can't just you can't just point and say one thing or the other is is a big factor. This Clemson game it was one that going into it I was worried about, and they took advantage of us not having Joey and Wendell available, which they played the Virginia Tech game plan of five out and Matt and and Vernon couldn't they couldn't hang with that, and that's going to be a lot of teams go to this year, especially as we get into tournament time some of these teams are going to have, you know, some of these coaches across the nation are going to look at tape of Duke's losses and they're going to look at tape from a couple of Duke's wins and they're going to try to digest that info and see what works the best against this team. And if you can keep this team from rebounding and if you can spread this team out all over the court, that seems to be our biggest weakness unless we do have some of those guys like Joey and Wendell available, which we didn't in this game and they took full advantage of that. So Clemson took advantage of it. They spread us out. They didn't play the traditional game and that really, really hurt the squad. Yeah, I thought Matthew Hurt was, uh, he, he played very soft in this game. It's a, it's yeah. a word that I'm going to use a lot in, in this podcast, but that, that just wasn't his best effort. He knows that. Um, I thought Bernie Carey actually played pretty strong, uh, notwithstanding the four of nine effort from the line. But to me, it looked like he was very winded toward the end of that game. And, you know, we, 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 we had to work so hard to get ourselves back to a position where we had a chance at the end. And I just right. think that at, at the very end, he, he was, he was cast and. Well, he had to play know, game, 31 minutes. That he had to play 31 <laughs> minutes. And, and, you know, he was getting hacked a lot down there. I mean, that seems to be the strategy that all of our opponents are taking with Vern going forward. Yep. Um, but, but he needed some help. And, and, and overall, I just didn't, didn't see the guys, you know, Jordan Goldwire was there, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like every time we praise Jordan Goldwire, he has a couple <laughs> games that come right back down to earth. Right, How many right. missed layups did we have in this game? That looked like the Jordan Ugh. Goldwire from, from last year with the missed layups. Right. And i got to say, it, it's probably completely taken his confidence away. Yeah, I would, I would hope not. And that's the thing. I hope it, I hope it didn't. But it, it, has, there, it has to have some kind of an effect because he had been playing – so confidently, so poised. He'd been playing to the point where we're like, you know, there there are times that it's great to have him on the floor and give Trey a break and everything else. But this game in particular, it was just, it, he was out of his element as having to be someone that we have to find points with. And he, he's definitely not comfortable in that role. So let's not put him in that role ever again. <laughs> let's keep, let's let him do what he does, which is play defense, 
help facilitate and and him playing 30 minutes a game that's not that's also not helpful and it's not ideal for this team a team that so far has shown a, a real affinity for being able to play nine or ten deep and that's going to be the story with the squad is being able to do that right now eight is not enough that the eight is enough thing doesn't work for the squad in particular it just it doesn't not right now not today in january if they had to do this the rest of the season i am sure in practice or something else i'm sure k could get them to, I could, i'm sure he could get them to be a sweet 16 or elite eight type of team with only eight guys we have enough tools to be able to do that but that's not the identity of the squad and our ceiling is definitely it, it's it's inhibited it's lower if this squad is an eight man, it made eight man roster. That's not what we are. That's not what this group is in particular. It, it, absolutely, and you know, I think that this game, you know, if you just you said it earlier, if you just looked at the box score of this game and just looked at the team stats, uh, we had less turnovers than they did. Um, they shot just as bad from the free throw line as we did. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, th- there was there were so many things where you're like, oh well, you know, they didn't really play that bad, um, or you can't really point to the free throw shooting. Uh, but again, we, we talked about it, the, the previous podcast about the free throw shooting. And I specifically said you cannot go 50 to 52% from the line and expect to win all these games. And was that the, the difference in this game? Probably not. But I don't know, man. But when you're two best guys, yeah, well, seriously, yeah. Like when you're two best guys, uh, you know, are going four of nine and three of five, missing front ends of the one and one. That that's unacceptable with Vernon Carey right. and Trey Jones. Um, that that can't happen. That can't happen. And you know, I mean, the final score of this be, game ends up what's it's seventy two seventy nine, right? And that's that that seven point differential is blown up a little bit because at the end of the game, you're trapping, you're pressing, you're scrambling, trying to get the ball back, you're fouling. The seven sure. points in reality is really only about a three point differential. And maybe even two, and yeah, free throws make a huge difference. This, again, we we pointed out, we pointed out that Vernon had to play thirty-one minutes this game. You go back to and not not to bring it up like you know, this is the loss that we always come back to, but Stephen F. Austin he had to play thirty-two minutes and he shot four of eleven from the line. Like Vernon's not equipped for huge minutes. He's he's equipped for important minutes to so find times where he can sit the bench during stretches where we don't need him. But the dude absolutely has to be in the game at crunch time and, and specific moments. But 30 minutes is too much, Vernon. It's too much. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a good transition because in the Louisville game, he had played 23 minutes. And one of my big rights was he wasn't in at the very end of the game. We mm-hmm. couldn't buy a bucket. So right. when we transitioned here to the Louisville game, we couldn't buy a bucket in that game. We were 6-25 from three. It was extremely physical. Obviously, we'll touch on, you know, Coach K's comments after the game. It was an extremely physical game. Vernon was only there for 23 minutes. Obviously, had those four fouls. But when we need a bucket late in the last two, three minutes, he's on the bench. What, what's going yep. on with that? Good good question. Because just like we always joke about with Roy, where you can't take your timeouts with you, you can't take your fouls with you. I mean, if, if you are going to go down, maybe K's playing for overtime or something. I don't know. But if if it looks like you're going to go down or you really need points, I don't know how you can't get your man in the game, especially when early on Vernon was being taken away by Louisville very much so. But then when cash just started going insane, they had to, they had to play off of him. We were able to get Vernon some touches out of the four out one in. And, and I think that would have been able to continue because of how Cassius was playing. I, I don't understand. why I don't get why he's sitting on the bench unless Unless he is on a on a strict minutes, you know, you can't you can only play this many minutes. Then I I don't understand it. I don't get it. I I don't I don't understand that one at all. He Vernon was limited this game on the rebounding side. Here here's his last four games: six six seven six. That's his total rebounding numbers. That's mm-hmm. for Vernon. That's unacceptable. We can't we can't have that. And teams we're starting to see teams making a concerted effort to double team him not only double team him to get to to disallow his touches but also double teaming teaming him to to not allow for the rebounding numbers and that's that's a big factor with this team is our ability to rebound we were one of the better rebounding margin teams in the country and the past four games 
when we've started to say that we are seeing a little bit of a difference in this Duke team, those past four games have it's, it hasn't been great on the rebounding side of the ball. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it really is a bummer that we had to waste such an amazing performance from Tasha Stanley. He had 24 yeah. points, 11 rebounds. He played like an absolute man-child. Um, the, the way he snatched rebounds in the middle of the lane, uh, it, there, were, there were multiple times in that second half where he went high for rebounds where I, I didn't even see him uh, before Before all of a sudden he disappears out of it. Like, he's like, like, a, like a porpoise coming out of the water. Like he's <laughs> like, oh, my God, there they are. I mean, they, yeah. He just jumped so high, and he had such a great game couple of huge dunks that I thought were going to lift us. And every time we were right there, we just kind of, you know, give credit to Louisville. They responded by making big shots every time we got the game tied or, or got it within one. Uh, they, they hit big shots. And you, you got to give them credit to that. Mm-hmm. It's just it's unfortunate that we have such an amazing performance from, from Cassius that is, you know, all for naught because we, we couldn't get the job done. But really, I want to I want to touch on the reason we couldn't get it done. I thought that to open this game, the first ten minutes, we were overplaying the perimeter to the point where it was a layup line for Louisville. It was a layup right. line for Louisville. They got up what 15, 20 points almost. The fact that mm-hmm. the fact that we weren't down thirty was a credit to Cassius and and actually I thought Matt Hurt um, made some really good shots in that first half to just to keep us in it. What is up with the overplaying? At some point, if you're continuing to get crushed back door uh, and giving up right. layoffs and dunks one after another, you, you probably want to adjust. Coach K called a timeout and it still happened. What, what, mm-hmm. you know, what is going on? You t- talk to us from a X's and O's perspective. Yeah, I, I wish this is, so we always talk about how adaptable K is and He's he's a very he's been a very flexible and adaptable coach. There's no denying that whatsoever. But the one thing he loves, and he loves the team to be able to do it, he loves teams to be able to overplay the perimeter and create turnovers that way. It's you you do that, it, it's offense. That is offense. So it's offense without having a run of play because you're in transition, and this team is good in transition. So to get your teams into transition, you create turnovers or you grab the snatch of rebounds and and go on the run. And he's always been able to, to rely on that throughout his history as a coach, the problem is teams are much more savvy and much more versatile when it comes to being able to do that. You don't have too many teams with a guy chained to the post anymore or one or two post players even. You don't have that anymore where you're just worried about three ball handlers. You're worried about four and five ball handlers down on the floor, and that doesn't work. The overplay doesn't work when you have teams that spread the floor that much, and that's what we're seeing. We are seeing more and more. If you look at every game Duke has been playing, you're starting to see in basketball as a whole, as a culture, more and more zone. And these zones have been more and more effective because they are showing the ability to play the perimeter guard and force teams out of rhythm. And with the defensive ability of this team, I would love to see K go into some of these zones he's used in the past. It doesn't take away from what you do. It doesn't have to. And it can still take advantage of what you have on the perimeter with his speed, strength, and length. The other mention of the defense with the overplay is, and it's notable, is the absence of Wendell Moore. It's it's a noticeable absence on the defensive side of the ball, particularly from the rebounding side of things. Wendell is good for five to six rebounds a game, and that's important for the squad. Yeah, you know, we'll talk about Wendell Moore's absence for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I wanted to really touch on in this game is, you know, Louisville played, I thought, very well with the fact that, you know, for the majority of that game, we took uh, Nora out of it. Is that right. an alarming thing for Duke? You know, the fact that we held Nora to 3 of 12 shooting, only six points on on pretty poor shooting. That means defensively, our strategy was to take him out of it. Do you think that them still being able to, they, I, th- I believe they hit their first five threes as well, and there was seven or right. 14 from the from three. So they shot the ball very well. Credit to them. That, to me, is that, does that suggest that Louisville is just a better basketball team than Duke is at this current point? No, it, it doesn't. It, they were better that night. I can't, I can't argue that. I, can't, I definitely can't argue that. 
but we were in in this match all night long. We were reacting the entire night as opposed as opposed to enforcing our will. We spent so much time trying to keep Noora from. We had, to, we had we spent so much time trying to get back into the game, though. Right, but then you have Matt Hurt on Sutton. Sutton had four almost four straight drives against Matt Hurt straight to the bucket when we were trying to make comebacks. Matt Hurt can't guard anybody thirty feet the, from the basket, and that's exactly what Chris Mack had Louisville do. Give him credit as much as much crap as I give Chris Mack. He absolutely took advantage of Matt Hurt as he should have. Uh, this game with some of Matt's matchups. Matt matched up against Fresh Kimball. He matched up against Dwayne Sutton. And those are horrible matchups for him, terrible matchups for him. And he had to stay on the floor because of what he was giving us on the offensive side of the ball at times. But defensively, he was he was a liability in that. And there were times where we were making comebacks, partly helpful because of his offense. But then on the other side of the ball, he was giving up another point, another two points. And that's that's just that can't happen. You can't continue to match points when you're trying to come back in the game. So, yeah, we we're absolutely trying to come back. But we were, we were in our normal defense. We weren't in anything crazy, but it was just Matt, Matt Hurt matchup nightmares the entire time. It was and, and partly because we had to put so much effort on Nuara, it was taking away some of our better defenders and, and putting them in position to have to go into war. And Chris Mack basically just said, you know what, Jordan, we, we don't need you. We'll have these other guys score. And they did. They, they played and they, they stepped up to the plate where our guys defensively did not step up to the plate. No, they didn't. And we couldn't buy a basket in this game. So yep. why was, I'm going to put it right back to the top of the second. Why was Ronan Carey not in the game in favor <laughs> of, Javin Delorier, who actually had a great stat line. He played nine minutes, zero for zero from the field, zero for zero from the line, zero for zero from the three-point line, zero rebound, zero assist, zero fouls. Why was You've he in the game? <laughs> You've been waiting for that one. <laughs> why, was, why was he in the game again? I mean, come on. Good question. Good question. No, you're not wrong. You're not, you're not wrong, and this is – and it's it's going to sound like a broken record, and it's why I've, at the very least, have been, let's try it. What, what would it hurt to try Justin Robinson out there on the floor at times? He's a really, he's yeah. a decent perimeter defender. He would have helped with some of those perimeter matchup problems that Louisville is presenting. Javin can't play perimeter defense. That experiment's over. Matt can't play perimeter defense. That experiment's over. Justin can. And Jack White was he was on Noir. like he that was his guy. So it it, uh, it just it frustrates Jack, me you know, so much. You no, know, Jack White Jack White didn't make a field goal. He was on three. Uh, mm-hmm. But I actually, I actually thought that I want to be a positive. But I actually, I actually thought Jack White played pretty well. No, he he's been great the past four or five games. Like I've I've loved what Jack has given us. We need Jack. He's been awesome on the floor. But by the same token, like when when he when he's put in those positions, like he, he has a job. His job is you play defense on this guy today. Your job is to rebound today. Your job is to maybe hit, hit a three when, when available, like help stretch the floor. Like he has his job. He has his role. He's been playing it. Like that's, there's no question about that. Jordan has had his job and had been playing it. He's just been thrust into a a little bit more, more duty than I think he is, is ready for. So, so where else are we going to find? find else to to step up and play these roles that we need them to play. Javin has played his role a few times, but that's against traditional bigs. Like a, t- a team like this, he's useless. He was useless against Virginia Tech. He was basically useless against Clemson and he was useless against Louisville. So we have to find someone else to take up the mantle of being able to play defense while also giving us something on the offensive end. That's the other part of it. We can't continue to play four and five on offense with certain guys in the game. I Justin Robinson is capable. He is capable at the very least of hitting a shot. And he we know that. So, he can hit a three. And that's the difference between uh, in a game like this, I just want to preface this, in a game like this where we can't score, it doesn't really hurt us to, to put a, a different look in there because at least right. at, the, at the very worst, he can hit a three and he can stretch the four out a little bit. Uh, I'm not asking him to play 23 minutes, but if you can come in there, you know, and get, take the take the nine minutes to jab and he's not giving you anything, and and say, hey, you know what, we need a three, Justin, see if you can see if you can do it. Um, exactly. He, he's shown the ability. I, I do want to switch gears real quick before we go mm-hmm. to our next topic. 
Um, these last two games, particularly, um, Trey Jones to me has played extremely poorly. Uh, the stats really didn't do his performance justice against Clemson in a negative way. Right. Uh, I thought he played very poorly at, at one point in the first half. I think I even texted you. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. Trey Jones might be throwing the game. But just <laughs> just from the yeah. uncharacteristic mistakes that he's making decision making wise. Uh, right. In the Louisville game, I thought he was uh, he was quite poor again by his standards. Uh, mm-hmm. Both defensively, uh, I thought he was poor with his decision making. I know that he had seven assists and you know twelve points, but you know he still had the four turnovers. You know the turnovers uh, are starting to to really annoy me. And then you know don't let me start it again on one of three from the line. Is is, is Trey Jones? playing himself back in the junior year here? Possibly. I, I, I still I look, at it, I look at it as he's definitely in evidence by two losses. He's still the most important player of our team. He and Vernon are 1A, 1B, most important players on our team. We need them to play well. No if we're going to reach no our ceiling, we need both of these guys to play well. And he has not played particularly well the last two games. He hasn't, he hasn't played at that All-American level he was showing prior to that. And is it a competition thing? Is it a January thing? Is it an ACC season thing? It could be. He's got to get used to some of these some of these things. A better team hides some of the things Trey is doing right now, and some of the things Trey is doing right now is the same Trey we saw last season. So whereas I thought he had taken a step forward, and I still think he has. Two games doesn't change my mind on that. I think he's going to have to find his rhythm. Yep. So another tough loss for Duke, and. The world has changed. The world has uh, has changed uh, for Duke fans. You know, we were 15 and one, riding high at the top of the ACC, and now we're 15 and three, still a great record. But now we have a couple losses in conference, and that has uh, a game behind both Louisville and Florida State. And so, switching gears to our overreaction, there was a lot of reaction toward what Coach K opened his press conference with. After mm-hmm. this Louisville game, talking about the physical nature, both pistons from the, the early 90s, late 80s. Uh, you know, AC, is it an overreaction to be a little bit perturbed by Coach K's comments? It sounded like a little bit of sour grapes. Is it an overreaction to say it was sour grapes by Coach K, or are you going to allow it? No, I'm going to allow it because Kay has done this in the past. He's done this for years where he – I feel like he's trying to deflect from his team's performance a little bit, but it doesn't help. It doesn't help and it doesn't change anything. Like, And in the moment, maybe people stop focusing on the the issues the team had in the game and they focus on more what Coach K said. But then when people have enough time to sit back and digest everything – like quite honestly, there's. I mean, we, well, we shot 29 free throws. I, we shot plenty of free throws. They made plenty of calls all game in Duke's favor. It, 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 the the referees, the physical nature of the game, that was not the problem. It wasn't the issue, and I don't like when when K takes this approach in press conference, press conferences after a loss. It's it's just not becoming, and there's different ways. He's he's a professional. I am not. So who am I to say there's different ways to handle it? But as from a fan's point of view, I don't like it, and I'm gonna allow being mad about that one because it made me mad to see it too. I'll allow it. Yeah, I didn't care for it myself. Um, like you, I I understand what he's doing. He's essentially um, saying, you know what, this this you know, is it all my guys? He he made a point to he made a point to basically take the anti-Roy approach where he says, I'm not going to throw my guys under the bus. I like that I comment much I, more than yeah, the other one. I think, was, I think it was a great, I think he was a direct shot at Roy. Um, he was, I'm not going to, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to throw my guys under the bus. Um, this is on me. This is, uh, you know, on our, our, on our entire program. We got to do better and, and give credit to Louisville. Um, the, the particular comments about, you know, the physical nature of the game, now, I'm sure if you went back and looked, I'm sure that he's probably right about certain things, but you, you already hit the nail on the head. You know, they had, we won the double bonus with like, you know, 10 minutes to go in the first half. Uh, 
we, we can't sit here and, and blame the physical nature of the game. We got, we have to be stronger. We have to be tougher. And it it was the most disappointed, uh, disappointing part of that game for me because after the Clemson game, I thought that we would come out with a lot of toughness. And, and for a couple of guys, they did. I thought Jack White played tough. I thought Matthew Hurt played tough. And then, of course, Cassius Stanley played real tough. So right. – some of those guys got those messages. I don't think the team as a whole and, and toughness isn't just about you know the physical part. Most of it's about the mental part of it. Uh, we weren't strong with the ball again. That starts with Trey Jones. Um, starts with Jordan Govier. If you if you're the two guys that have the ball in your hands the most, you can't mm-hmm. combine for seven turnovers. Um, th- those things can't happen. Uh, it, it starts with being smarter and more aware defensively. You know, be more cognizant of the fact that they've been going back door the entire game. Pause. You have to <laughs> figure that out and be able to react and have the mental toughness to react to it. So, no, I don't think it is an overreaction. I wish he hadn't said it. I'll allow it. But we're going to move on to our second one, which is after those two losses, I saw a lot of chatter on social media saying that Wendell Moore is the difference between Duke being elite and Duke not being elite. Is that an overreaction to say that, or are you going to allow it? I'm going to allow this one. I'll allow it. I I am going to allow this one because what Wendell Moore does for us is he, he helps make this team versatile and he helps make this team more malleable if you will in terms of being able to play different styles of ball we can play a team that's going to go five out against us because Wendell can act as as a power forward in that role you know and and what's not really a true power forward he can play that role of guarding someone bigger he can play someone like Jordan Nawara which frees up our other guys Jack White Jordan Goldwire Cassius Stanley to go play some of those guys off the ball who kill us like our this team's this team ceiling is based on their ability to be flexible and Wendell Moore is the most flexible player we have he's the one guy we have that can play multiple positions on the floor and in the past seen that type of guy thrive under K and and make some of K's best teams happen Justice Winslow Grant Hill Shane Battier not saying he's those guys but I'm saying that those are guys that K can plug into just about any position and say go do your job and they go do their job. We don't have that on this team without him right now. So I do think that this team's ceiling is based on not necessarily how good Wendell is playing, but just his, his availability and is, is he serviceable on the floor? I think that is a big part of the squad. Oh, David, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's that black and white. I don't think it's black, that black and white where if he's on the floor, we're an elite team all of a sudden, and if he's not there, that all of a sudden uh, we're not elite. That was an overreaction. First of all, I don't think that we were elite to begin with. I thought we um, weren't a team trending the right way before these two games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought we were trending in a direction that it was more likely that we would be closer to the elite side than we would be to mediocre. mediocre uh, to, to bad, but having said that, if we are, and we talked about this a little bit offline, if we are relying on having to say if Wendell Moore is there or not there, that's the difference between us being a leader or not, I think that's very unfair to both the team uh, and to Wendell Moore. Uh, Wendell Moore is a player that uh, he's very versatile. He uh, does a lot of different things, especially defensively to help us out. But he's not that Justice Winslow type difference maker that we all want him to be at this current juncture. Um, to the point where, like, if he's not there, we're we're screwed. I, I don't think that that's fair to put on him. I think the biggest the biggest key is what 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 can he continue to give us this season? Because he's it wasn't like he was a knockdown three point shooter. It wasn't like he was scoring at some ridiculous clip. So on the offensive side of the ball, some of the woes we've seen on offense, I don't know that Wendell is going to change that. And that's why that's where I agree with you, where he's not make or break for us to be elite, like you were saying, because that's 
I, I do agree with that. I think he just he helps. He is he's a part of the recipe. So you know you you make you make you right you make cookies and you know every single recipe in a cookie recipe is very important. One doesn't make or break the other, but the whole cookie is not the same without one of those things. And I think that's the same thing here with when I don't think that at, w- without him, it's not that we are elite or not elite. I think it's just this team has an identity and he is a big part of that identity and him missing is an important part of this team's recipe. Oh, get them cookies. All right, let's wrap this one <laughs> up to third. I love cookies, man. <laughs> man. I have to go for some right now. I'm pretty hungry. Um, all right, so the last one is uh, one of my favorite things of all time, the blanket statements that are always coming up, the cliches that happen oh, this yes. time of year every single year. Uh, AC, Duke does not improve after January, just like they have in <laughs> the last five years. Is that an overreaction to say that after these two games, or are you going to allow it? <sighs> so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this in a direction, and it's it's not I'm not taking this in a certain direction to to create conversation or anything. Here's how I'm gonna put this: I'm going to allow that Duke does not improve after January. I'll allow it because I don't think that that's what January and February are for. It's not for improvement. How 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 can you possibly improve when you're playing two and three conference game week? on top of everything you have to do in class, on top of every, all the travel and all the above. If we think this stretch is bad, wait till we hit that stretch in February where we have to play three straight road games and, and, and then go play Florida State in a matter of 10 days, Florida State at home in a matter of 10 days. You think there's going to be improvement during that week? Hell no. So, no, this is not the time for improvement. What this is the time for is finding identity. We've seen it in the past with some of Kay's best teams. This these two months are terrible. They're just terrible for just about any team. You're going to win your non-conference games because you're playing Georgia State and East Tennessee State and 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 Oregon Tech. Like you're you're playing those games in December, so of course it looks like you're improving and you can you can play with things in games and use those as practice games almost. But in the conference slate, you don't get that luxury. So no, we don't improve, but we usually find an identity out of what it is that we're lacking. And that's what I want to wait and see for for this team. So all the rah-rah, like, we have to band together and, and stick behind this team. You know what? You're a fan. You can have whatever opinion you want. You can have the opinion of sticking behind the squad and and loving them till the end. You can have the opinion of Coach K doesn't know how to coach anymore. He's a terrible coach. Whatever You can have whatever opinion you want to hold. But something remains true in basketball for every single team in the nation, and that is January and February, for lack of a better term, if you have kids listening, go ahead and tell them to stop listening for a second and cover their ears. January and February are a bitch in college basketball. It just is. And accept it. I don't know why we haven't learned to accept it yet. That's the way it goes. But out of all of the muck and mire, the best teams find something out of it that they can rely on for March. And all of K's championship teams have done so. 91 and 92 found a Swiss Army knife in Grant Hill, and they found a way to be versatile. 2001, or the 2000-2001 squad, they they learned, they they became, they already were a good three-point shooting team. They became an incredible three-point shooting team with the absence of Carlos Boozer when everyone else thought that they weren't going to be able to do that because he went down with injury and such an important piece was gone, so this team was done. 2009-2010, all of a sudden learned how to be extremely efficient offensive and defensive end when they lacked so many things like athleticism and other parts of the game that people felt were essential. 14 and 15, welcome Tyus Jones. We had never seen that guy that, he, that we saw at the end of the season out of the out of what happened at the, the rest of the season because Jaleel Okafor was not as efficient as he once was. Justice Winslow was going through his stuff. Tyus stepped up and became a totally different player. And then, oh yeah, we found Grayson Allen too. So all of these teams, they create an identity out of difficulty and that's what i want to see if this team can do so before we have any more of these you you have to be a certain fan for this certain type of way let's just remember what we've seen in the past from from duke basketball and go with that sort of more like an overreaction than an uh allow it to me but hey i'm not gonna (laughs) that's your thing you know this whole thing always comes down to in my in my mind this whole this whole thing comes down to if if you don't win it all 
or get to the final four, then you didn't improve. That that that's mm-hmm. the premise essentially. And to me, mm-hmm. it's not it's not grinds my gears and it blows me off because it is so stupid. You know, there are so many different subjective ways to to measure improvement, but they also don't take into effect into account all the other things that you can't control. Injuries. Right. What do other teams do? How do they scheme? How do you match up with them? What happened in that particular game? You know, mm-hmm. do I, th- you know, like last year, for instance, you know, um, you know, you, you get people that say Duke hasn't improved, um, you know, they, because they, because they come out so well to start the year. Well, what are we saying then? You know, everybody looks at that Kentucky game from last year, essentially. Right. You know, you blow out Kentucky to start the year. That doesn't mean that we, just because we played our best game, the team isn't actually improving. You know, the people get tape on you. They figure out how to do it. We had injuries to to Cam, Zion, Trey, uh, Marquise. We had injuries to all our core guys last year at some point. Uh, I think that sounded large here, really. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that stunts different aspects of your improvement and what you can do. You know, Coach K had to basically make a decision on how he wanted to frame that team. Um, the other thing I want to take a look at is just the state of college basketball. You know, people get, uh, fans especially, they can get so siloed in, you know, just what their team is doing. They don't actually have the peripheral lenses out where they're seeing, oh, wait, we're not the only team that has to deal with injuries. We're not the only team that has to deal with conference leaks. Um, just this week, Butler got smoked. Auburn got smoked. Uh, these were top five teams, by the way. Duke uh, lost. Um, this season, Michigan State's gotten smoked. Uh, you know, of Gonzaga, really, who, you know, we know that they're a conference schedule, and I'll give Baylor credit. Um, you know, Kansas has gotten smoked. They're, they're, teams, Louisville's gotten smoked. You know, th- these teams are losing this year. Um, are right. we saying that they're not improving? Like, it, it, it works both ways. Um, I saw a stat. I saw a stat at the beginning at, at beginning of Saturday that suggested that more top five teams have lost this season than at, at this point in the season than the last like ten years. So right. teams are losing. That doesn't mean that they can't also improve. It just means that competition and the parity uh, this year is pretty pretty stiff. So. You're going to lose games that maybe you shouldn't, but we, we already knew that. Nobody nobody predicted that Duke would go undefeated in, in conference play. I know I didn't. I'm pretty sure I right. predicted 15 and 5. Mm-hmm. So well, I'm, I'm right there. I, you were 17 and 3. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some at some point we felt like Duke was going to, you know, have some bumps in the road here. And that's, that's all I'm saying. It's, it's just not the way we, it's the world we live in where if we don't win at all. Then we didn't improve. So we won the ACC tournament last year. We had to deal with Zion's situation uh, and then have to integrate him right back in and 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 beat three really, really, really good teams to to win it. But then all of a sudden we didn't improve because we didn't get to the Final Four. I, I, I don't understand that logic. That was an overreaction. Yeah, I'm right, I'm right there with you. It's It's not about... Oh, I, I think that's what people clamor for the story. They love the four-year guy who has never hit a shot before in his entire life, and all of a sudden he scores 20 points a game in the NCAA tournament, and that's improvement for everyone. Like, that's that's not improvement, that's opportunity, and that's the difference here. I, it, what opportunities can can our guys create now after this? This we We now have two losses, which also means we have two sets of tape, which also now means we have things to go back to and practice to look at, to to address our weaknesses. And, and you know, no team has been undefeated since 1976. You know, it happens. Exactly. You're going to lose. Uh, there, are mm-hmm. more better, there, there are better players now than there ever have been. Um, there's just so much parity in college basketball. But if, if, if you're looking for perfection, then if you, you know, I, I don't know, man. If, if, you, if you never lost all year, did you really improve? Right. Or did you just keep the, the, the status quo? Right. If you if you want perfection, go play NBA 2K and put the game on easy and just and do it that way. 
because you're not going to get it in the real world. Yeah, improvement happens many ways, and and you know, Coach K even said it afterwards that we're going to take this game, we're going to take the tape, and we're going to go so that we can make improvements. That's what happens. You can improve. It doesn't mean that we're going to all of a sudden blow everybody out. Right. Um, is that the measure of improvement? Like that, that's the thing. Like, how do you measure this? Is it stats? Exactly. Is it record? Is it? What? It's just, it's just a blanket statement that, um, that I don't have the patience for, and that's why I go on rants like this. All right, so let's <laughs> move to our next segment. Next play. Different, a little different uh, scenario here. So I want to make a deal. It's time for let's make a deal. I want to play a little right. game of let's make a deal, AC. Um, and I'm going to give you two scenarios. The first one is uh, surrounding Wendell Moore. Okay. If I can make a deal with you, and you can only take one or the other here, that Wendell right. Moore comes back, he goes gangbusters, plays himself into the draft. That's how good mm-hmm. he plays. Or Wendell Moore comes back, doesn't have, you know, he, he plays kind of similar to the way he's playing, and that, ins- that ensures that he comes back for next year. Which one mm-hmm. of those two scenarios are you taking? Because you're going to have to tell me, you know, what does the team do, obviously, with, sure. with both of those situations? Do you think that Wendell coming back and playing game busters gets us to where we want to be? Or do you think that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge it a little bit. I'm, I'm happy with the way he's playing. I think that's enough, but it, it also means that he's coming back. Yeah, I like this. I like this a lot, man. I like this, I like this topic. This might be a new favorite. I don't know. We'll see. No, I like Good question. I don't think Wendell coming out off of his injury and all of a sudden scoring 15, 20 points a game, I don't think that makes us any better or, well, you know, and I'll even put it this way, any better or any worse. This team is based on their ability to distribute the ball, spread the ball, and everyone get involved. And I think if if Wendell does come out and all of a sudden for some reason is just some takeover player, then something has been lost there. Either Vernon Carey is not getting his opportunities, Matt Hurts not getting his opportunities, Cassius is not hit, getting his opportunities, and I think that actually can hurt this team for whatever reason. If it didn't, and let's say it put us in a position to be an Elite Eight national title type team, then I would take it. But I think it hurts next year too because I'd love to see him come back as a sophomore. So I'm going to take the deal of. Let Wendell come back, be what he has been for us, and and help this team in the way he has been helping us, which is good enough for this season, I think. And I would love to see him come back next season. I'm going to take that one. Yeah, um, I, I'm actually going to agree with you on this one. I'd, I'd like to have him just play the way he's playing. Um, I think that defensively it is really what we need from him. We weren't looking for right. him to score to begin with. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I hope that this time that he's been away helps him see some of the mistakes that we've been making because you know he had a tendency to you know very very Cam reddish like in the fact that he would drive head down and get get himself into trouble you know i, I never really right. thought that cam learned um to, whether it's pulling up or slow himself down or body control to to make sure that he he wasn't you know making those charges and things like that i i, I don't think there's an opportunity here for wendell moore to you know, come out and, and average, you know, 15 to 17 points a night and, you know, have seven or eight rebounds and play, play like the Justice Winslow that we alluded to earlier. Right. Um, I don't even know that he has that opportunity next year, to be honest with you, um, if he mm-hmm. comes back. I don't think that that's the kind of player he is right now. Um, but having said that, if he can come back, be the same guy that he was with some of those slight improvements, I'm going to take that all day long, and I will gladly take him back next year. Mm-hmm. All right. Second one. Here we go. We talked about uh, Javon Delarier coming in uh, at the end of the game against Louisville. Um, he didn't give us anything. We needed buckets. And so his defense came in. Um, that was Coach K's choice to play defense over the offense. Mm-hmm. I think that we can all agree we'd rather have Vernon Carey in the game. So we're not going to touch that one. But what we are going to touch is a guy that we haven't even brought up yet. And this is very interesting. Alex O'Connell only played two minutes in that game mm-hmm. against Louisville. We need a scoring. But yet, Coach Hay has chosen to go with Jordan Goldwire. That's his guy now. We have praised Jordan Goldwire uh, on this podcast. We have talked about how important he is. But 
it's getting a little long in the tooth for me to have him being out there for 25 plus minutes every single night. Um, right. Outside of the BC, outside of the BC game where he played 18 minutes, he's played over 24 minutes every night since the Winthrop game. That's how long it goes back. Um, Alex O'Connell is only getting two minutes. Is would you like to see? Let's make a deal here. Let's keep things the way they are, and let's continue to develop Jordan because he's clearly the guy. Uh, and take his defense over the other option here, Alex O'Connell. His offense. Let him get readjusted into the rotation, and 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 become, you know, a a, a different option for this team. Which one of those are you taking? I still don't think all is lost with Alex. I'm going to take the offensive side of the ball for this one. You can't, well, you can't totally rely on offense ever. You also can't totally rely on defense ever. And there's going to be a team and going to be a situation to you where your defense just, whatever you're doing on defense is just not working. The other team has you scouted. They have a plan. That plan is working. You can't totally rely on defense. So sometimes you are going to have to trade buckets. And when Jordan and Javin are on the floor, at times we are four on five on offense because you don't necessarily have to account for those guys. Right now, Jordan has not proven to anyone yet that they don't have to sink back on him, kind of like they were doing with Trey last year. And I don't want to see that situation ever again. And I certainly don't want to see that situation with this team in particular. And we have enough shooters. We have enough floor spacers to where this team can work off of that. So I would love to see, I still would love to see Alex being able to give us some capable 10 minutes to take pressure off of Jordan off the floor, to keep Wendell healthy and off the floor at times, to keep Trey maybe on the bench with Jordan running the point, and maybe even he steals some minutes from from Jack or Vernon, whoever whoever's going to lose minutes with Alex being on the floor. Alex can give us some valuable time. He showed it to us in Georgia Tech. He's shown it to us in flashes here and there. I would love to see it. I would love to see Alex being able to give us some time on that offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you know, that has to be the answer here. It, it has to be. Uh, I, I just don't think that you can afford to have these number of minutes, 25, 35, 30, 37, 26. Um, you know, those aren't Jordan Goldwire minutes the last five games. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I've loved with him and Trey have been together. We've talked about that. But at the expense of the the offense that we needed in that Louisville game, that can't happen. Right. So nobody was hitting shots in the Louisville game. So right. and, and I didn't think Jordan's defense made up for it. So Brennan nope. Alex, um, Brennan Joey, Brennan Matt, uh, they need to play. They need to shoot. Because we need we need buckets. We need someone to get buckets. And I, I well, I, I'm a little bit afraid right now for for Alex. Um, you know, again, you never, you know, it's just amazing how how the year goes for for certain people. You know, we talked about Joey Baker um, when was the last week saying, you know, Joey's a guy that, you know, we we saw some some of the uh, you know the transfer rumors happening. You know, right at right out of the gate uh, after right. the Kansas game, where he didn't play, um, and now he's a guy that you can't keep out of the rotation. He's in a scenario now that you know where Alex has played, you know, two minutes, twelve minutes, uh, you know, seventeen, thirteen, ten. You know, he he's starting to get on that low man on the totem pole. Is he that ninth, tenth guy now? He's probably ten. Uh, right. Is that a guy that I know that he's on track to graduate at the end of the year uh, in three years? Does he say, you know what? I don't think I have a place for next year. Um, I think that doesn't happen because I, I love, uh, you know, our guys sticking around and, and seeing the end of their race. But is this Coach K narrowing the bench down and saying, you know what, I I, I can't trust him on the court, and I'm going to go with uh, Tyler Horton 2.0 out there in spite of the fact that I know I'm not going to get any offense out of him. I hope that's not the case because – I think that Alex has a lot to contribute offensively. But, AC, I want to wrap this up. How many? Just a simple question. How many more opportunities can you give Alex before you say, you know what, it's just not, it's just not going to happen for him? No, that's a good point. And it's, gonna, it's, it's got to start in practice, and we always know that. And you, know, you always heard that Alex Murphy was this incredible 
practice player, but then he couldn't make it translate in the games. I don't think that's the same case here with Alex. I'm not in practice. I don't know, but I know the same things aren't being said about him. And I do know that we have seen him give us some good quality time in games going back to last year even. The problem is it usually takes him about 20 minutes or so to do that, and he's not going to get that with the squad. So I would love to see him. I would love to see his efficiency rack up to where he can play 10 minutes and give us two or three good shots in those 10 minutes and make two or three of those shots. And and then that's that's his time on the floor. That Those are important numbers. Like two or three, two and three shots doesn't seem like a lot, but those are important numbers especially for a guy who's not going to get a lot of time. A guy, like as you have mentioned, is probably number 10 on the bench right now. So is it going to be Alex? Does Justin Robinson step into that role? There's going to be someone who steps up at the end of the season and comes out of nowhere and because and becomes something for this Duke team. And I'm just I'm interested to see who it is, and I haven't given up on Alex yet. All right, I haven't given up on this team. And we got Miami tomorrow night, Tuesday night, 9 p.m., we got to win this game. Uh, I think this is yep. the perfect team for us to play. Um, you know, it's, it's a team that we recently played and blew the doors off them at their place. This is a team that I think we match up very well with and, and hopefully brings back some good memories, some good mojo. And hopefully we can come out and, and have a strong performance mentally, physically, get burning the ball early and often, see a couple of shots go down. For, for Joey, see a couple go down for Matt. If Alex does play, <laughs> hopefully a couple go down for him. But I do right. like Duke Bowson back in this one, and I like it to the tune of 80 to 68. Yeah, this is one of those get back games. They turn the ball yeah. over, they rebound well, but the last thing they played is we out rebounded them enormously. And they don't shoot the three well when you can really just focus in and play on their three point shooters. So I, while I don't expect us to totally blow them out 32 points like we did last time, I, I a double-digit victory would be nice in this game, and I think we can see it. I, I don't honestly, I don't think a blowout does our team any justice because I think we do still need to learn. So if we struggle a little bit, I'm not going to be mad about it. I don't think we'll struggle that much though. I think Miami will give it a run, but I think we'll be able to pull out. And I want to see us correct some problems that we've seen and already addressed on this podcast that I won't bring up again. So I think we'll see Duke win somewhere around 80 to 65. And I like it. And we gotta, we got to step back. we got to get things rolling again. And I just want to leave you with this. If you want to know what you have with a lump of coal, you stick it under immense pressure. That pressure does one of two things, AC. That pressure either causes it to crumble and turn to dust or it renders it useless. Or that pressure turns it into the diamond that you hoped it could be. Triple H, a.k.a. the game. Talking to Seth <laughs> Rollins. Let's go, Duke! <laughs> Let's go, Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the 5-Point Play Podcast. The number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at 5-Point Play Podcast. That's the number 5-Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter five point play podcast go do